Welcome to Traveling Culturati, where we explore cultures and share travel news, travel tips, destinations, and travel chats. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Well, hey there, fellow Culturati. Javon Harley here, your host and travel pro for Traveling Culturati. Thank you again for coming back for another week of travel news, travel tips, and travel chats. Joining us this week are three gentlemen who are currently living in Liberia, two of whom are African-Americans from New York. They have founded the Journey Home Festival to be celebrated later this year. We'll also have Javon's Travel Minute and the Culture Report is our continuation of our Casa Time from our travelers who went to Ghana with us. But right now, we're going to get into a little travel news. I do have some wonderful things to share with you, starting with Black History Month. If you want some inspiration and ideas to celebrate Black History Month, here are some cities and sites to consider for celebrating the month. New York City. Their Go City Explorer Pass gives you access to at least six exhibits and experiences focusing on Black history. Some of these sites include Critical Fabulations. This is the Gallery at Museum of Modern Art, and it features artwork that uses artifacts, archives, and testimonies to explore the legacy of colonialism and its impact today. In February... The New York Historical Society Museum will debut two new exhibits, Black Dolls and Our Composite Nation, Frederick Douglass's America. And you can get an in-depth look at New York City during the time of slavery with the New York City Slavery and Underground Railroad Tour. San Antonio, yes, San Antonio. You may not immediately think of San Antonio, but... Remember, they are home to the nation's largest Martin Luther King Day Parade that's held every January. Martin Luther King Park has recently added a statue titled Spheres of Reflection. And this showcases the words and phrases most used by Dr. King. And the Witt Museum, which is Texas's oldest museum, has a new Black Cowboys and American Story exhibit that opened in November and is still going on today. And it covers the little known history of Black people in the wild, wild west. And then Oakland, California, the birthplace of the Black Panther Party. There's a self-guided tour you can take through 12 sites that were significant in the organization's history. There's the Black Power exhibit at the Oakland Museum of California, and that highlights works of Black anti-racist activists in California, and they also have Remember Them champions for humanity monument and it's dedicated to 25 leaders who have made contributions toward global peace freedom and human rights and if you're not fancying any of those towns just celebrate black history month in your own town there are many sites exhibits events celebrations in person and virtually that you can take advantage of and participate in Now, talking about tourism recovery, Dubai is leading the global tourism recovery. Dubai welcomed 7.28 million international visitors last year, and that represents 32% year-over-year growth of 2020. Now, according to the latest data published from Dubai Department of Economy and Tourism, also known as DET, international visitation to the city surpassed 3.4 million visitors in the fourth quarter of 2021. This achieved 74% of the total pre-pandemic tourist arrivals of the same quarter of 2019. So that's huge. Hilal Saeed Al-Mari, DET Director General, in leading the global tourism recovery with the support of our stakeholders and partners, Dubai constantly sets precedent, demonstrating how to safely yet effectively open up to international visitors and critically stay open. Now remember, Dubai is hosting Expo 2020, the World Expo, and they have well-coordinated, consistent, proactive, 
and creative approach enabled them to lay the groundwork for an accelerated recovery that received a major boost with the opening of the Expo 2020 Dubai. He also added that Dubai's success in 2021 is testament to the carefully calibrated strategy and decisive measures that were put in place at the outset to counter and manage the pandemic across all sectors, including trade and tourism. And he says, as we move forward throughout 2022, we are confident that the significant momentum now gathered will accelerate even further to continue to attract not just tourists, but also investors, entrepreneurs, and innovators to Dubai. Now, a large part of international tourism came from Western Europe, 22% to be exact, were the total number of visitors in 2021 from Western Europe. And it was led by the United Kingdom, France, Germany, Italy, and the Netherlands. And then 18% came from South Asia and also with Russia, CIS, and Eastern European nations coming in at 15%. More borders are opening. That includes Australia. Australia is set to reopen to vaccinated international travelers this month. Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison announced this past week, Australia will open its borders to fully vaccinated international travelers starting from late February. The National Security Committee and Cabinet has decided today, as he stated, that Australia will reopen its borders to all remaining visa holders on the 21st of February. Australia, which has been closed to most travelers since early 2020, has been slowly easing its restrictions since November through travel programs with New Zealand, Singapore, South Korea, and Japan. The condition is you must be double vaccinated to come to Australia. That's the rule. Everyone is expected to abide by it, according to Morrison. He also added that state-based caps on quarantine will continue and that those caps will still be determined state by state and territory. In January, remember, world number one tennis player Novak Djokovic had his visa canceled. And this was amid the debate over his vaccination exemption status. And he was ultimately deported and could not compete in the Australian Open. And one of his rivals, Rafael Nadal, took the crown and broke the three-way tie between Novak Djokovic, Rafael Nadal, and Roger Federer as the most Grand Slam titles held. So yeah, that was a big one. I remember that in the news. The prime minister said your visa is one thing, but entry into Australia requires you to also be double vaccinated. And I think events earlier in the year should have sent a very clear message, I think to everyone around the world, that this is the requirement to enter Australia. And Australia is not the only country. There are many countries who have a requirement that you be fully vaccinated. And that definition changes from country to country. So in some cases, fully vaccinated means two full doses. And in other situations or other countries, they may include the booster as well, or put a time limit on when you had your last vaccination, therefore requiring you to have the booster. Well, some other big news with the airlines. Yes, Frontier has bid $2.9 billion for their rival budget airline, Spirit Airlines. Yes, Frontier Airlines and Spirit Airlines are proposing to combine in that $2.9 billion deal, which would create a larger discount airline to compete against the nation's dominant carriers, and they say to promote lower fares. Combined, it would actually become the fifth largest carrier. Now, both are ultra low cost carriers whose main goal and focus is rock bottom prices. And that also comes with no frills services. Everything is a plus, plus, plus. If you don't need the plus, 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 you can save big bucks. The deal is likely to get a close examination from antitrust regulators in the Biden administration, which has signaled a tougher line against big corporate mergers. If you recall, the Biden administration sued with the possible merger of American Airlines and JetBlue last year. 
The Biden administration feels that it is important to promote competition, but with major mergers and the creation of large airlines that are cornering the market pretty much that it eliminates competition. Now you have American, Delta, United and Southwest, which together control about 80% of the U.S. air travel market. And so this is why the Biden administration wants to make sure that we continue to have competition. But Frontier and Spirit say this merger will allow them to be more competitive and to offer more routes to smaller destinations that are underserved by the major airlines. And so it would offer more service to everyone and continue to be a low cost carrier. As far as what that name will be, well, we don't know because the merger hasn't been finalized yet. So may see this in the latter part of 2022 and how this will all play out. Between them, Frontier and Spirit have about 280 planes, more than 350 on order. Spirit CEO Ted Christie said the combined airline would add new routes across the United States and in Latin America and the Caribbean. And the shareholders in Frontier, well, they would own 51.5% of the new company. And Spirit shareholders will get some shares, 1.91 to be exact, of Frontier plus $2.13 in cash for each of their spirit shares. So again, the companies expect to close the transaction in the second half of the year, but it still needs approval from spirit shareholders. Travel and tourism is expected to grow $8.6 trillion in 2022. Yes, brighter days are ahead. Travel and tourism are expected to return to almost pre-pandemic levels this year. And a top health official says that Europe could be about to enter a long period of tranquility. Tourism is certainly bouncing back and could generate that $8.6 trillion globally, according to new research by the World Travel and Tourism Council. And that's just 6.4% below pre-pandemic levels. More countries have announced reopening plans. Denmark, whose population has a high of 81% vaccination rate, has become the first EU country to lift all COVID-19 restrictions, while Morocco has announced plans to reopen to tourists on February 7th. And even... The super cautious country of New Zealand is gradually opening its doors. So we will see many more countries reopening their borders in 2022. We have just yet to see what their protocols and restrictions are going to be, whether it's going to require full vaccination, full vaccination plus booster, just a negative COVID test, whether it's a PCR or a rapid test, will you quarantine? Will you not quarantine? There are so many things to consider, but it is all happening. And that's all I've got for travel news. And when I come back, I'll have Javon's travel minute and a conversation with three gentlemen currently living in Liberia on their experiences and the Journey Home Festival. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm your host and travel pro, Javon Harley. Make sure you stay connected with me on social media and in the know for our upcoming travels at TravelingCulturati.com. I am so excited about today's show. We have three guests who have come together in and for Liberia, a nation on the west coast of Africa sharing borders with Sierra Leone, Guinea, and Cote d'Ivoire that has an expansive coastline along the Atlantic Ocean. 2022 marks the 200th anniversary of the formation of Liberia and will be celebrated during the Journey Home Festival. So please help me welcome my guest, Sakar Ahershu, who is from New Jersey. Yes, New Jersey City, co-founder of MC War, a live and virtual event company and co-founder of the Journey Home Festival. Den Tut Reye from Brooklyn, New York, is a real estate investor and co-founder of MC War and the Journey Home Festival and 
Professor Martin Scott, a professor at Liberia University in Monrovia and advisor to the Minister of Foreign Affairs on European Affairs. Well, gentlemen, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today. Now, so Sakar and Dentad, are you two currently in the United States, in New Jersey and New York, respectively? This is Sakar. We're in Liberia, in Monrovia, and have been living here off and on for four years. Wow. So did you come together, Sakar? Exactly. We sure did. January 15th will make officially four years that we've been living in Monrovia. And we did come together 2018. And obviously, Professor Scott, who is the professor at Liberia University in Monrovia, is in Monrovia. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, were you born in Liberia? Yes, I was born in Cape Palmas in Liberia, used to be uh, the Maryland of Africa. Okay. One of the reasons I'm so excited about talking about Liberia is because I think we don't know enough about Liberia. So, Dentutut, let me first start with you. What brought you to Liberia? Well, interestingly, myself and Sakar, we traveled to Senegal at first. Uh, That was in 2016, 2017. 2017, we traveled there. And when we were there, we went to this area called Gory Allen. Gory Allen, what we saw there was this location called the Gate of No Return. And that gate of no return, that's when I was like first introduced to the fact of, okay, this is where the slaves left the continent. And I just remember how we felt. And we left Senegal thinking about how we're going to have a journey home. That was like the conversation. And so journey home was birthed right there. And then when we left Senegal, we left the United to go back to the United States, thinking about how we're going to do the journey home, which we did. We met with the dignitaries there. We met with the different investors there. And we've successfully gathered individuals from Senegal to go to create a sister city in Lithonia, Georgia, Atlanta. And that was a success. And then because we are event coordinators and producers, we have this activity that takes place every year called Atlanta Hip Hop Day. And during that festival, this is how we actually met the individual that brought us to Senegal. So as we're doing this festival and as we're continuing to move forward, we said, okay, let's go to Liberia. And there was other means to go to Liberia, but we didn't even know, you know, what we was going to get when we got here. So when we got to Liberia, we was like, okay, this looked just like the Bronx, you know, or Atlanta, underdeveloped, rural. There's like little rural parts. And I don't know, like the Bronx in the early 90s. So it, that's just kind of the look that was there. But then we started to ask questions. And this is when we met Professor. We started to ask questions about the history of Liberia and uh, how Liberia came into existence and things of that nature. And then we found out that it was created by African-Americans in the 1822 for ACS, American Colonization Society. And then once we started to hear the story and the narrative, we're like, whoa, this is where the journey home belongs right here. Because, when you, you know, Ghana did a, a successful job last year or the year before. With their year of return, they grossed about $1.9 billion, which is incredible. Hand claps to them, salutes to them. But then we was like, well, the narrative is really here in Liberia because we actually came back here. We had black presidents here. We had created cities here and everything else. And the people here, they got like 16 different or 17 different tribes here that are beautiful tribes. Like they have their own language. This is incredible. So, but that's what brought us here to Liberia. Sakar, is that the same for you? Yes, that's exactly correct. And when we initially went to Senegal, I mean, I love the car. You know, we actually visited visited the Gambia as well. But because it's a Francophone country, right, it wasn't so easy to connect with the people. And so that's something that really stood out with me because I came from Jersey City and moved to Atlanta, which was a culture shock because I did that at the age of 22. And so when that happened and I got to Atlanta and it was like oh, this embracing feeling, this, you know, Southern hospitality, I wind up seeing that 10 times coming into Liberia. Of course, you're going to feel something when you first come to the continent. So I did feel that coming to Senegal and I did feel opening. And of course, people were welcoming, but it's totally different because Liberia, everybody speaks English. Now they want to ask you. So they come up to you. Hey, where are you from? As soon as you tell them, yeah, I'm from Jersey City, New Jersey. They're like, this is your country. Right. So, of course, 
that's not something that they would say to you in Dakar, right? So in Liberia, they literally like, and I'm talking about that's happened to me. I would say about, I can't count the amount of times that someone has said to me, you know, this is your country. And then they immediately want to start breaking down to how your ancestors came here, how this was founded for African-Americans, how the constitution was created in order to have a safe haven for Blacks all across the world. So we did come on the same mindset. And when I got here, it was just like overwhelming. I have to be honest. I do want to talk about this history. So, Professor, share with us that actual history of Liberia. Yes, uh, thank you so much. It's quite interesting to note that many Afro-Americans from uh, African ancestry do not really know the history and the land of liberty and the reason why Liberia was created. Liberia, a little piece of land in the west coast of Africa next door to Sierra Leone, where there existed a British type colony. Liberia was initially known as Christopolis when it was created by the ACS, the American Colonization Society. Four years after they've been trying to settle from 1818 to 1822. In 1822, the ACS succeeded, their agents succeeded to land on the Providence Island. The Providence Island, a little piece of uh, land situated in the middle of two other islands, which later became Monrovia. Monrovia was named after the American president, President John Moreau. Moravia was a settlement. Then later, the greater hinterland where other African, other societies, African colonial societies were created in the United States, like the Mississippi Colonial Society, the Maryland Colonial Society, this all took off and came and got territories along the west coast between the Galinas and the Crew Coast. So in an attempt to obtain greater independence, which they saw their existence being threatened, in 1847, in 1847, the Commonwealth, because these three colonial society created what was called the Commonwealth, of Africa. So this colonial society went on to, because of the resistance of taxes to be paid by the British authority and the locals, so they thought the best way forward was to declare their independence. So the independence was sought in 1847 and through that, Liberia had its first African-American Black president. I think as opposed to the story that President Barack Obama was the first Black African president, I think the Americans created a first Black president in 1847, and that was President Joseph Genghis Robert. Liberia, the ACS, Liberia became self-governed. And from then on, till the period, till the 80s and the 90s, where the war broke up, we in Liberia always knew that the United States of America created this land and they will always come to the rescue of their people. Very little did we know that. Very little is known of Liberia as the land that was created for African-Americans to freely settle and grow their wealth. Little did we know that back in the States, very little is known about this historical piece of interesting story. So the bicentennial that the government has dubbed the land of return is indeed in place and a wake-up call and reminder of all Americans of African origin that they have somewhere that was created, bought, and did for their return. And that is home, Liberia, today called Liberia. So if you come here, you will see that there are so many similarities. 
like where my grandparents settled, is called Clay Ashland. And where the other settlement they created was uh, Louisiana. So all these are the replication of what they experienced back across the Atlantic. The 18th century, the migration imports of the Black Freedom Movement in the late 18th centuries gave birth to the land of liberty, today known as Liberia. Sakar, can you tell us a little bit about the culture? What has been your experience in visiting Liberia and living there? It's very interesting because, again, it is just like American culture, right? So the overarching language is English. So everybody speaks English. But there are 17, right? Initially, I thought there were 16, but just at the bicentennial, we were informed that there's actually 17 tribes. I guess the 17th tribe was officially adapted in 2008 called the Sapo tribe. So now they do have all their indigenous languages, right? All of them speak their own language. Basa and Pele are like the biggest. So now I recommend as an African-American traveling over, you know, if you learn a couple of words in the Basa language, it's just so appreciated because they know you really don't have to do that. Whereas like if you're in some countries like state or Pele, right? Or say you're in Ghana, you kind of have to learn Twi a little bit more, right? Because Twi is very heavily spoken. Whereas in Liberia, English, they all speak, everybody speaks English. So even with all 17 languages, everybody still speaks, but they do have what they call Koliqua, which is like the colloquial language, which is, I kind of compare it to like Patois, you know, in Jamaica, right? But to me, it's a lot easier. Like I said, I lived in Atlanta for, you know, almost 13 years. So coming from Jersey City, right? I don't know, you know, (laughs) coming down to Atlanta and kind of having to adapt to Atlanta's Southern slang, their Southern way that they speak is really easy because Koliqua, I remember, is American English, whereas like Sierra Leone, they got Creole, which is like kind of British. Again, Jamaica, that's kind of British. And they do speak a little bit of a different English than we do in America. So Koliqua is very easy to adapt. But I want Denta to tap in on the food, right? Because he's a foodie for real, you know, so I want him, if that's okay, I want him to go ahead and talk about some of the dishes and stuff like that. You know, his favorite, maybe you want to start with the palm butter, then to Absolutely. I'm a huge foodie, so I, I'm always interested <laughs> to learn about the food. It's interesting because my mother and my father's from Haiti. And, you know, Haiti got their independence in 1804. And, like, their dishes are incredible. But then living in New York, you have your pizza, your hot dogs, your burgers, and then your heroes. And then, you know, going to... Atlanta, you have the Southern foods. You have all these type of soul food from macaroni to the everything. But, you know, I don't eat pork or nothing like that. So there's certain foods that is th- I never tried in, in Atlanta. But my point is, by the time I got to Liberia, man, they got this one thing called palm butter. The best way I could explain it is like ragu. But palm butter is without the vegetables. It's just the sauce. And it's incredible. It's just incredible. But then you have the potato greens. And potato greens is like collard greens, but it's fried, fried vegetables. And it's just the way they season their food is just totally different. You know, you got your large seasoning in the States, but their choice of season and spices is different because everything is just organic here. There's nothing GMO. You don't get nothing GMO here. Everything is straight off the tree, out of the ground. And the food is just really incredible. And it's just not just one set of food because in Senegal, it was really a lot of starchy rice. And well, you eat a lot of rice here too, but you know, you have your choice of soup. But then in Senegal, there wasn't, it's like this pastry type, I forget what they call it, but they always put it in the middle of it, middle of the pie, I would think. But it was just really starchy. But we're here, it's got so much different categories of soups from the potato greens to the palm butters to the cassava leaf. And it's really, really tasteful. I, I'm saying like, you know, you did certain places like, you know, you go to an Indian restaurant, the curry might be too much for you. The place looks fabulous, but this is a food is just not the best. When anyone come here, if anyone from the States come here, you're going to enjoy the jollof rice. The jollof rice is like a Chinese fried rice, but it's like full of vegetables and with meat. And then some sauce and with the sauce that comes with it, it just puts the taste to a whole nother degree. 
One thing I want to add is there's a disconnect between the Liberians and the African-Americans that I think that has to be connected because when you come here, you see the same styles of clothes, the same headdresses. They even use the same slang. Like they talk about drip. They talk about swag. You know, these are the younger kids right now because of the YouTube, you know, but there's a serious disconnect because in the States, whether you're in Atlanta or in New York or Jersey, there's no one talking about Monrovia. There's a Maryland. Like the people in Maryland do not talk about the Maryland in Liberia. The people in Virginia do not talk about the Virginia in Liberia. The people in Louisiana do not talk about the Louisiana in Liberia. So it's like that's a major disconnect. So if we was able to make that connect, that's our goal is to really make that connect so we can really you know, harness that. That's going to really help the country in itself and give our people other means to spend our money because, you know, we do have a spending capability of $1.2 trillion. And those that have that type of disposable income could bring that over here to Liberia to help develop the country. Well, absolutely. And, and I do want to talk about that a little bit later, because part of the Journey Home Festival that is being planned for this year has an investment piece to it as well. Sakar or Dentat, either of you can answer this for me, because both of you have musical backgrounds. I want to talk about the music in Liberia. Oh, man, the music is extraordinary. And let me tell you, right, when I first, because when I left the United States, you know, I love the youth energy as far as what they're doing with the music and things of that nature, you know, very creative. I come from hip hop. We were talking about that before the show started. And, you know, I really came from a place where hip hop told stories. And a lot of time it told the story of a struggle. It told a story of overcoming and becoming something better than what you were. And a lot of times lately, the music, not only the actual lyrics, but even the sound is kind of scary to me. <laughs> like, I would just be honest. <laughs> like, it's like got Michael Myers feel and Jason feel. So I got to a point where I just didn't want to listen to music much other than like, you know, what I grew up on. Of course, you know, old school R&B, even the new R&B, I wasn't feeling too much. But when I came here, I actually, the place that we first moved to was across the street from a club. So you would think that I would be annoyed. But the music oh, is just so beautiful. I mean, from the older Liberian cultural music and then what I hear, and they do also play a lot of music from Cote d'Ivoire as well. So I guess because at one point, of course, Nigeria is the biggest. Right. But at one point, you know, Cote d'Ivoire, you know, Ivory Coast was really dominating the music and fashion industry on the continent. So you hear a lot of when you hear the old school, because I always ask, you know, I'm like, oh, what's that? Because, you know, of course, the newer stuff I'm a little bit more familiar with, like the artists like David O, Wizkid and stuff like that. The newer stuff I'm more familiar with, but the older stuff, I'm always like, well, what's that? What's that? What's that? And sometimes it's, you know, it's either from Ivory Coast or it's the Bassa. They create a lot of great music. The Bassa tribe, you have a whole county called Grand Bassa. That's one of the biggest tribes in Liberia, I think they're one of the biggest landowners too when it comes to the land here in Liberia. But the beauty, the music, let me tell you, so it's just so soothing. And then, you know, what I noticed too, even though some of the newer music, they do incorporate some of the braggadocious stuff that we kind of did in hip hop, but they don't talk badly about their women like our music began to do and kind of does still. And then another thing I noticed is that all ages, like there's no way that I could get my grandmother or my mother to listen to like any hip hop from like 90, you know, really probably even the 80s on, right? You know, this just wasn't their thing, right? But the music here, like, you know, 60s, 70s, like everybody's listening to the music. It's something about it. Like it's something about it. And it's culturally like it's almost feels like everybody could dance <laughs> like when the music comes on like it's just oh my goodness so yeah i love the music mind you the club across the street goes to like two three o'clock in the morning and i literally had no problem with it because the music oh check this out this is how okay this is how they started they started okay back in the day when i used to dj well, i'll be i'll be brief you used to go from the latest hip-hop then you'll go to the reggae right and then you would end it with the old school R&B, like Before I Let Go, Frankie Beverly Amaze, things of that nature. Here, they actually start with country music, <laughs> believe it or not. 
like that was another thing that blew me away. Like they know Dolly Parton. They know like I'm talking about everybody, the local indigenous people that you would not think they know the records to they know the songs to Dolly Parton. They also like a lot of the old school R&B. They like a lot of blues. So you hear all of that. So like when they first start getting the music like and warming up the crowd, believe it or not, it's country music. Old, like 80s, 90s R&B, Whitney Houston plays a lot here, right? Stuff like that you wouldn't normally hear like at an event in the States. And then it goes into reggae and then it goes into the, the current Afrobeats. And then, of course, they mix in some of the older stuff as well. Can we get an update on how Liberia is addressing COVID? I'll say this. The president at the official Bicentennial ceremony, which was on Providence Island, where the African-Americans originally returned, Right. So that was literally January 7th of 1822. So the president gave a speech and said one million Liberians have been vaccinated, which to me is very, very, very good. When you talk about a population of four million and then when you say that, when you also have to notice that a million of those Liberians are right here in the capital in Monrovia. So it stands to say that a lot of those that have been vaccinated are right here. So when it comes to how they're addressing COVID-19, they're definitely on the pulse. Now, as far as reports, sicknesses, deaths, it's very, very, very low numbers. Very, very, very low numbers. And I've met a minister of health and he was giving us some numbers and things of that nature. This was mid-2020. We wound up seeing him at um, one of the restaurants here. We always frequent. It's called Ala Lagoon. And the numbers are really, really incredibly low. And I think that's kind of been the pattern in West Africa. Now, the beauty about it is Liberia, you know, I know Ghana took a little bit more of an aggressive stance where they're saying, hey, you can't even come in if you're not vaccinated. This is what I hear. Right. I don't know. I think it might be amount of days that you can stay. It's so true. So you forth. have to be vaccinated. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So Liberia has not took that forceful stance. They just say, hey, we're going to test you when you arrive. If you know, of course, obviously, if you're found positive, they will quarantine you for some time. But for what people would term one of the poorest countries in the world, they have really been addressing this thing very, very efficiently. Predicating upon the experience Liberia got during the Ebola crisis, Liberia has a very, very robust contact tracing system that the Public Health Institute of Republic Liberia has installed. So all passengers coming in are actually profiled. If you're positive, then you are given a voluntary quarantine. So you'll be quarantined at a hotel of your choice. In case you do not have that money to be quarantined, then the government will come in and facilitate a very conducive, cheap uh, venue uh, that your quarantine period could be completed. And then test it again when you find that you are allowed to integrate into the society. So I think with that experience, Liberia stand out to be one of the COVID-free, I will not say COVID-free zone, but where people feel more comfortable interacting without that maximum fright of COVID. Being uh, another fact as my as Sokar has just said, the total population of Liberia is 4 million, a little bit more than 4 million, and a bit close to 2 million of that population is in Morovia and is environed. And half of the population, that 1 million plus you hear have been vaccinated, actually, in most of them are in Morovia. So the probability of meeting someone who is unvaccinated within the periphery of Morovia is quite slim. So with that, we think that the Johnny Home Festival, the diaspora society coming to Liberia should be worried much about COVID. I think following the health protocol laid out by government, that will be fine. They will be fine. We don't have cases. Our death toll on COVID is very, very, very low. And the hospitals, cases of COVID are almost invisible. So I don't know. The fear of COVID should not be entertained, should not be the worries of would-be visitors of the land of return. Okay, well, great. Thank you so much for that. And unfortunately, we're out of time, but 
I will certainly have at least one of you back on again so that we can get an update on the Journey Home Festival as it's unfolding and as it becomes available for everyone to look at joining because there are going to be great things happening. There's going to be opportunities for people who want to invest in Liberia. Of course, there's going to be celebrations because it is a celebration in itself, the Journey Home Festival, and a place where African-Americans have roots beyond what we're talking about when we say returning to Africa. We're talking about returning to a place in Africa that is Liberia, that African-Americans were very instrumental in founding in 1822. So the 200th year anniversary, the homecoming or the Journey Home Festival in Liberia, really looking forward to more information and updates. So I will have you back on as we have more information. And to all three of you, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. What an honor and a pleasure. So again, I was talking to Sakar Hershu, Den Tut. Ray and Professor Martin Scott. Again, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you too. Thank you. It's also an honor. Thank you. Stay tuned for the Culture Report. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm Javon Harley, your host and travel pro. The website, TravelingCulturati.com. Make sure you check it out. And while you're there, follow us on social media and join that travel club. Culture is forever changing and reflecting what's happening in the society and with its people. It can be born from the arts, music, food, and sometimes politics and strife. This is the Culture Report. There's a tradition in Ghana called Casa Time. Casa is a twi word that means speak. This is the time when the community or family will gather and speak to one another to share history. It's normally the elders speaking to the younger generation to keep the history and traditions alive. We're adopting this tradition to have a casa time of our own and speak with our group members who are currently in Ghana to have them share their experiences with you. Who do I have the pleasure of speaking to now? Patience Nelson. And where are you from, Patience? Chicago, Illinois. Ah, what a great time to be because it's currently snowing here. (laughs) (laughs) And seven inches of snow. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So I guess Ghana is a great place to be. So tell me from the many things that you all have experienced there, what struck you the most? So one of the highlights was uh, visiting the craft villages and then particularly the village where they make kente cloth. And so it gave us an opportunity to have a deeper appreciation for the art form, which actually began in the 16th century. And so we will see kente cloth in the U.S. and it's colorful, but it actually does not reflect the artisanship that is involved in making the cloth. And so we had an opportunity to actually see the cloth being made. We learned that there are three types, a single, a double, and a triple thread kente cloth. And so we saw how it really involves the entire body and making the cloth. So the feet actually move some of the thread. And it also is a art form that requires high concentration as well as mathematics in terms of the threads that go in there. So we learned that it was so much more than a colorful cloth. And it was just wonderful getting a chance to see the different artists. So they had someone as old as 80 years old, and then they have them as young as in their teens, and they're actually training them up. So some of them are like apprentices. And we had a chance to go into the shop and see the many different types. We actually learned that they name the patterns, each pattern. So for me, It was an eye opener to see the intricacies of the fabric being made. And I had a deep appreciation for the fact that the tradition has continued since the 16th century. 
Well, that's what I was going to say, that when you mentioned someone 80 years old and then someone who was a teenager, that they're passing this tradition down. And so it's not going to become another lost craft or artistry. And I just love that they're doing that because it is an intricate piece. Now, if you can explain to us a little bit more, you talked about how they showed you how kente is made. Can you explain to us a little bit what that kente weaving was like, like the apparatus that they used? Sure. The apparatus actually dates back to the 16th century as well. So there is actually a loom and it has the various threads, but then there are almost like little round circle, like a thread spool. And that has string attached to that. And they move that with their feet. So they are moving their arms stretched out as they are bringing the actual threads closer to them. There is a paddle where they compress the threads after they're sewn or weaved individually. So the hand is moving, the feet are moving, and the mind is moving as it's counting the threads and the colors. And so the apparatus is wooden, very intricate and They actually start at five in the morning and finish at five in the evening, and they take a very short break. They are all individual artists, so they independently sell their wares. So it's in their interest to work as productively as possible. And yet they were so pleasant, even with our interruption, with the questions. It was just beautiful to see. I wonder if they know how the kente cloth has transformed around the world from what we see outside of the area and to know the authenticity of it. My sense is that there is an appreciation for that because our guide let us know that kente cloth represents Africa. So it's not just Ghana but it represents the continent. And then they let us know that this is not the cheap stuff that you see mass produced from China, but there is no machine sewn involved in the production of kente. The authentic is always going to be fully handmade. And as I said, they have a single thread, then a double and the triple. The triple is the most expensive And it actually, the design is the same on the front side as it is on the back side. So again, it just gives you a greater appreciation for the level of artistry involved in creating a triple ply as well. Absolutely. And it kind of reminds me, you know, how champagne has its certification that you can't call it champagne if the grape wasn't grown in champagne. I'm thinking the same thing here. I wonder if they're getting that certification of authenticity and the craftsmanship that if it's not hand woven and made in that area or made in that fashion or that format, that it cannot be called Kente. They should really look into doing that because I think it's really necessary and it really is showing appreciation to the artistry and the area that it comes from. What about some of the other crafts or villages you had a chance to visit there? Sure. If I can just digress for a moment, what I thought was interesting in terms of their culture, because of the physicality involved in making Kente, all of the artisans are male because they're there from five in the morning to five in the evening. But the females actually take the finished product and they are doing the selling. So you see this cooperation amongst the men and the women and they're them being celebrated for that which they do the best. And yet it comes together to benefit them both by one producing and the other selling. So I thought that was an interesting cultural aspect of it as well. Absolutely. And before we get to the last question I asked, did you buy some? I did. So I bought, (laughs) absolutely. I bought some, I was very particular in the colors and my intent is to have pillows made. My blue sky vision though, is I'd love to have a piece of furniture, take my grandmother's chairs and actually have them reupholstered in kente cloth. So I am combining my 
family history with my cultural history and bringing my ancestors all into one piece. So that's my blue sky dream of uh, uh, can take loss. Oh, that sounds wonderful. I would love to see that when that happens. <laughs> yes, I'd love to see. The other artisan village that we visit that I enjoy quite a bit as well is Kente cloth can also be stamped. And so in Ghana, and I may call the wrong name, but they have these various symbols that are part of the Ashante tribe and the various symbols actually have meaning. So we went to a different village where they had a cloth strip and all the various symbols that are stamped. And so they showed us how they made the dye from a tree bark that is then beat down. And what would be, what do you call that when you're cooking and the little dish where you grind fresh herbs? Oh, a mortar. A mortar. Mortar They have a large wooden mortar and they put these tree barks in and you beat it down into a mulch and then they actually mix it with water and they cook it. And that creates the dye that we then stamp in the dye and then put the sig sign on a cloth. And now we have something that we can bring home that incorporates that art form as well. So one of the highlights of the entire Ghana trip is that it's been an immersive experience. So you're not just listening, but you're doing and you're seeing. So all of your senses are being called alive to experience the culture. And that has really been wonderful. And also, I think it's a byproduct of a well-planned trip. Well, thank you so much. And I'm so glad that you're enjoying that. And those are called the Adinkra symbols. Yes, yes, Adinkra, yes. (laughs) And they do. They have all of these symbols and these meanings, and they predate a lot of the symbols that people know about today, like the Celtic symbols and so forth, but they predate all of that. And there's a lot of history and they have all of the different meanings about family and representation and marriage and so forth. So I'm so happy that you got an opportunity to really go to those areas and see where these things originate from that we come in contact with outside of Ghana or here in the United States. Well, it's been such an honor and a pleasure speaking with with you and I'm really smiling from ear to ear to hear how you've absorbed all of this knowledge and culture and this heritage from Ghana. As am I, I feel so privileged to have the opportunity to come back home and actually be a part of the culture. I feel honored and it's been amazing and I'm still processing all of what I have encountered. Well, thank you so much for sharing. It's my pleasure. Thank you for hosting and you take good care. Well, that's it for the show today. Wherever you go, go with all your heart. Confucius. Ladies and gentlemen. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information.